Okay, I'm Chris Avina, American Outdoor News. Welcome to the American Outdoor News podcast. Today we're with Paul Atkins, um, outdoor writer, adventurer, and now book author. Paul, thanks for uh, taking the time. It's good to be here, man. I know you and I have been trying to do this for, for some time. I think you're in New York, right? Yep. And I'm in the Arctic, and I looked it up earlier how far apart you and I are at this moment. And it's about 4,200 miles as the crow flies. So, That's yeah. Well, no, it's great days, to be here. couple of days <laughs> hike. <Yeah. laughs> now, you, uh, you originally came from Oklahoma. Yeah, I grew up in Oklahoma. Uh, actually, I was born in Arkansas because my uh, it's a good story. My dad was deer hunting over in that area and my mom was over there too and uh she ended up going to the hospital while and had me in arkansas but i grew up yeah i grew up in oklahoma northeast oklahoma uh grew up on the farm grew up on the ranch uh was around livestock all my life and yeah i grew up there and uh went to school at uh at oklahoma state and uh got a degree in agriculture actually wow. and uh, yeah i did uh with animal science did a bunch of that kind of stuff and Always thought I'd go back to the farm, but uh, I didn't. So, yeah. <laughs> How the hell did you end up in Alaska? <laughs> well, it's a good story because I have, I had a, my, one of my uncles uh, was a firefighter in Oklahoma City back in the day, back in the 70s. And he retired and my aunt, she got a teaching degree and she said, this was back in the 80s. Okay. She said, I'm going to go to Alaska. So basically they just, spun the globe and they just picked it on the map alaska and they hit kotzebue so kotzebue uh for those of you who don't know is about 30 miles north of the arctic circle up here we're about 160 miles from russia off the coast but uh uh she came up here and she was here about 10 years maybe 11 and when i was in fresh out of college i used to come up and uh just hang out with them and one year I came up and I was in between jobs. I'd been teaching school and I was doing construction. And the principal at the school said, hey, would you like a job? And I said, hey, yeah, let's do this. And that was in 99. And, uh, you know, it just, I, I, it, I came the next fall and I'm still here. <laughs> the temporary thing ended up being a lifetime. It's a lot. You know, I was only going to stay a year. That was the goal. I was going to stay a year, do some hunting, write a few stories and head back. And then after a year, it was five years and then 10 years. And then I ended up meeting my wife here pretty quickly after I got here. Uh, my son, Eli was born here and, you know, he just graduated two days ago. And, uh, Congratulations. So, yeah, thanks man. It, it was, that was, that was something, but yeah, kind of a weird story, but it's been a great story. Now, it must've been a hell of a learning curve coming from Oklahoma to moving to Alaska full-time, especially so far North. Yes, it, you know, it was, Chris, it was, I think the biggest thing was the wet. it's the weather, you know, you know, you have, you hear how people talk about extreme temperatures, uh, and it gets pretty cold up here, the coldest I ever seen it here in the Arctic uh, was 81 below real temperature, I've seen the windshield a lot colder <laughs> than that, so, it, so that's the big thing, but, uh, you know, it's just, Another thing, though, and, and people say, oh, that's so cold. Well, I tell you, I've been down and hunting in, you know, Louisiana and Texas and during the winter time down there. And if it's 20 degrees with all that humidity, I've been just as cold in southern Oklahoma and, our, and Texas and, and, and Louisiana 
than I've been up here. But you know how you hear people talk about a dry, it's a, what did they say in Arizona? Oh, it's, it's a dry it's heat. It's a dry heat. But it's and 120 degrees. I, I don't care if it's dry or wet. <laughs> <laughs> up, here, up here, it's a dry cold. It really is. We have hardly any humidity. So, and this is how accustomed I've got to it. You know, it's 20, it was 27 yesterday. It's 31 today. It was 27 yesterday. I was wearing a t-shirt outside at 27 degrees. Okay. Wow. Now, if I was doing that down there, I would probably get frostbite. So, but yeah, the weather was probably the biggest. Um, also living in Kotzebue up here on the, in the Arctic, we have no roads. The only way to get here is by jet. So I can't just wow. get in my truck and drive to Walmart or talk. I can, we don't have any of that kind of stuff. This is real village, village life up here. Do you by chance own a jet? No, I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> I probably, uh, yeah, if I owned a jet, I'd probably be, you know, hopping all over the all over the world, hunting and fishing, and that's all I'd be doing. So, but uh, no, we have we have there's the, we have a seven thirty seven that comes in here twice a day. Wow! So, all right. Yeah, Kotzebue is kind of the hub. You got all these villages on the outside, and Kotzebue is kind of the hub, and this kind of. Everything comes here, then goes there. So, yeah. All right. Well, what was it like, you know, the adjustment? I mean, it, was the weather just the adjustment? Do, are you, no, in, no, I think. Doing, like I think, a town or a wilderness? I mean, what, what's around your house? Uh, well, you know, it's, it's a small town. There's only around Kotzebue. If you guys look on the map, it's just, it's up. I don't know how they, how they do Alaska like this. Yeah. It's up here. It's on the northwest. It's on the northwest coast. Uh, Kotzebue used to be just here's a tidbit. Kotzebue was the polar bear hunting capital of the world back in the 50s, 60s, and early 70s. Wow. You go back and look at any big game book, any record book, you'll see that all the bears come from this area. They didn't actually hunt them in Kotzebue. They got them on the pack ice, but all the guys would fly into Kotzebue. Uh, but no, as far as the biggest adjustment was just, I think, isolation a little bit. You know, Kotzebue has a population of about 3,000, which is pretty big. It's one of the bigger towns in Alaska. But, you know, you can't just leave. If you want to go anywhere, you got to buy a plane ticket and fly to Anchorage, which is – Anchorage is 600 air miles from here, south. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so that gives people an idea. But I think that, you know, and the darkness, it doesn't get dark, total darkness like it does in Barrow up north. But it does get dark back November, December, so that's kind of tough. Um Right now, we've got light 24-7. In the early days, that was tough for me. You know, you, you can't sleep. and that's. But nowadays, I, you know, it, you go to bed at midnight and the sun's up and it's not a big deal. So just things like that, you know, uh, adjusting to those kinds of things, which over time has been easy now. Well, you've written hundreds of articles including for outdoor American Outdoor News. <laughs> yeah, been my privilege, too. How um, how'd you get into writing? Well, that's really a good question. I, I'm a school teacher by trade. Uh, I've done it for 33 years. I've taught school. I don't teach English, though. My wife teaches English. I teach math. But <laughs> nowadays, I used to teach, you know, it, it's, it's a weird world, but... Back in the early 90s, uh, you, I You do was, the writing and your wife does the bills? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's about right, actually. Now, back in the early 90s, I was a big... I was, I'm a bow hunter by... That's my first love is bow hunting, okay? 
Yep. Back in the 90s, I lived in Kansas for about 10 years where, you know, anybody talks about Kansas, big whitetails, you know, big whitetail deer. And I had the opportunity to be right in the middle of all that. And I was also uh, on the, I used to shoot a lot of 3D archery. And I was, I was, you know, I'm not, I, I was pretty good at it. And I used to travel to all these big shoots and stuff. And I got to know people. And <clears throat> one of the big, one of the uh, people that I really liked to follow and read was Chuck Adams. Everybody knows who Chuck Adams sure. is, you know, great bow hunter, well-known. And uh, he, I don't know, I just loved reading his articles. And then I met Jim Dartery. Jim Dartery was, uh, wrote for uh, bow, uh, Peterson's Bow Hunting. And Jim was from Tulsa, and I got to know Jim, and he used to score a bunch of my animals for me. And I just love these guys, and I love to read read their stories. And then I was also into Rourke and Capstick and all those Africa guys. Good. And I thought, you know, when I was young, I thought, I want to do that someday. And in 1993, I wrote a story about my first whitetail with a bow. And at the time, there was a magazine called American Bow Hunter. It didn't, you know, like some magazines, it didn't last very long. Back yeah, in those days, it was tough. Print was tough in those days. And it got published, and um, I just took off from there. You know, I was I was doing the stuff. I was out there doing it. I thought, you might, I might as well write about it. And, uh, you know, I got turned down more than I got accepted. And, I mean, that's what it took. I just kept pushing and pushing and pushing. <coughs> Excuse me. And I finally, uh, you know, finally I got to where I would, if I would write something, it was going to get published. Now, I'm not bragging because that's, it, it took years and years for that to happen. And then I, you know, I hooked up with, with the right people and the right editors and guys that, you know, they wanted the material and they seen what we, I was doing. And it just took off and it got to be, you know, 10 or 12 stories a month in 10 or 12 different magazines. Wow. It actually be, you know, and I'm not, I'm not complaining because it works good. Anytime you get asked to do something, that's a great thing. But uh, it got to the point where it was just, it was constant. It almost was overwhelming. It became work, <laughs> you know, and, uh, but it was all worth it. And, you know, I think, I think 450 stories later, it's, it's, it's good. Well, I got to say, I've enjoyed your, uh, I've enjoyed your stories, but Thank more you. than the stories, who takes your pictures? Your grandpa uh, phenomenal. No, she does she doesn't, my buddy. I have a, a, a good friend. He doesn't live here anymore. My buddy, Lou Pagel, Dr. Lou Pagel. He was, he's a chiropractor in town. Him and I hooked up about 10 years ago. <clears throat> and that's when it really took off with the writing. And he was an avid hunter, just like me. He's a big waterfowler, more than I ever thought I would be. But he, uh, that was, you know, that was his part in the story. If you read my book, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, I guess. Uh, I, you know, his, without his photography skills, I probably couldn't have done hardly any of this stuff, but him and I would hunt. That's, that was my hunting partner. And, you know, like what they say about hunting partners are hard to find a good one. Yeah. And, uh, he was my photographer and we had cameras and we, we lived it and we did it. We did it every day, every weekend, uh, all the time. And he, he, and he, and he knew how to take photos. You know, a lot of people, and I've written about this in some articles and stuff, a lot of people, they just take a, you know, take a picture and stuff, but it's really a science. And, you know, to get good articles for good stories, you know, you got to take the time and you really got to, and you got to take a bunch of them. Because if yeah. you can get one 
one out of a hundred, then that's great, you know. And what I what we always lived by was the photo you don't take is the one you should have took. And yeah. that's kind of that's kind of how I've always looked at it. And uh, we really took our time with photos. So you you put together a compilation of stories for your new book. Yeah. Actually, I got a copy of it here. You want me to show it, Chris? Sure. I don't know if you guys uh, see it there. Yeah, Atkins, Alaska. True tales of hunting, fishing, and surviving in the far north. Yeah, I had, uh, like I said, I, at the time, whenever I put this together, I had about 400 to choose from. And it was kind of tough getting it down to down to 40. I picked 40. Uh, the book itself is like 300 pages long. But it's got 40, of, 40 stories that I picked. And, and you know, they're not epic there's one in there that it's kind of long but most of them are 2,000 2,200 2,300 words just short little pieces short stories I guess of uh of some of the adventures I've had here in the Arctic ranging everything from muskox to grizzly bears to <clears throat> fishing trips and moose caribou sheep goats and you know a lot of those are where you know things got pretty uh scary pretty quick like a couple of stories about, you know, bear hunts and stuff that have gone wrong, a goat hunt that went extremely wrong, and, uh, you know, a muskox hunt that uh, where we about froze to death. So I, there's a lot of adventure in there. Well, I, I would imagine there was a hell of a learning curve uh, from hunting in Oklahoma, Kansas, the, the, you know, the, the states. To yeah. Really venturing out into the wilderness. Right, exactly. You know, there. I, I would imagine there's a vast difference in hunting. What was yeah. uh, what was the most compromising thing that has happened to you out there? Most well, that's that's a tough one because there's been several. You know, and and you're right. Climate. You know, back home with tree stand hunting, blind hunting, spot and stock. You know, I miss that stuff more than anybody will ever imagine. I really do. There's nothing. We don't have trees here. Okay, first of all, so I miss climbing a tree. But the, the, the biggest challenges for me in the early days was bears. Bears were, and they're actually, that's one of the problems in Northern Alaska and maybe all of Alaska is we have such a bear problem, a predator problem. You know, they complain about not having any moose, not having any caribou. And, you know, a lot of times they, the resident, non-residents, they get into a fight over who's this, who to blame, that kind of thing. The problem in Alaska is bears. Yeah. Big time. We have too many. And nobody hunts them anymore, you know. But most of the compromising situations I got in were with bears. And if you read my book, my first story is called Dangerous Game. And uh, that's when I actually got charged by a bear. with a, And I was with another guy that he was a novice hunter. Some, a friend of mine I brought up from the lower 48. And he, you know, it was, it, it was about, it got to the point that I thought it was over. But uh, I actually ended up uh, shooting that bear at eight yards. And uh, it's a little too close for comfort. Yeah, that's pretty close. And uh, shot, got that bear. And, you know, when I, the story, the way it went was, is the bear charged me. We seen that we seen we we're hunting moose at the time, way up north, north, further north than here. <laughs> and I seen something in a ravine, something, something charged our tent that night. It was a bear. So the next day we got up and our raft, we had a raft blown up that we were going to float the river. The bear had eaten the raft, tore it to shreds. And he charged the tent that night. So the next morning we got up, you know, we didn't get much sleep that night, crossed the river, and we're looking for moose, watching for bear. 
and this bear is we see something in the like a ravine i just see the back of it and it's kind of got some cuts and stuff and i thought well that's a moose because it looked like the top of a moose and then the, he stuck his head up over the top of that burb and his eyes met mine and he was at 30 yards and i had a bow in my hand and my buddy carl he had a rifle and i just grabbed his rifle and brought it up and eight yards brown bear yeah big yeah, brown bear pretty impressive yeah <clears throat> and then he uh he went off in the willows. I didn't know whether I killed him or not. So two hours later, I had to get the, the nerve to go in and look for him. And, I, you know, I write about, and I, I've been to Africa. I've hunted Cape Buffalo. And if you know, if you read stories like that where they got to go in after an animal, a, a buffalo, a leopard, a lion, whatever it might be, that's kind of what, that was my first experience with being scared to death happened, but you knew you had to go do it. So that's kind of what those pHs and stuff felt over there, I think. But yeah, that was that one was that was pretty compromising with the bear. Uh, I once had a situation with another story: a goat. My first goat hunt. Well, actually, it was my third goat hunt. I didn't get a goat the first two. Um, we were hunting down on Kodiak, and we were, we were climbing a mountain, and uh, I stepped. My my step was a little too long, and I slipped. And if it hadn't been for my backpack. And my rifle in my backpack that catching on the grass and ice, Ooh. it would have been the end of me, probably. Yeah, so. this, uh, when you're climbing up those mountains, that's physically demanding and, you know, every step counts. Yeah, it's it's probably, I mean, the goat hunts are the, I'm by far the toughest hunts I've ever been on because you got to be in shape and you got to be prepared, you got to be prepared physically, emotionally, mentally. And, you know, that bout ruined it for me. But the next year I went back and uh, got it done. And that's probably one of my greatest accomplishments is my goat. So Maybe. I'm very proud of that hunt, actually. Yeah, you uh, you wrote about that. Yeah, I think I, we, it was in America. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think you said that. Outdoor news with you. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was, that was, uh, that was probably my, I felt like my, my greatest accomplishment, my greatest hunt. So, but uh, yeah, great. proud of that one. But. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here to acknowledge some of our sponsors. Uh, Underwood Ammo, always a standard of excellence. Um, Pyro Putty and uh, Phone Scope, uh, very innovative products. And Hunt of a Lifetime, we're going to hear from them in a second. We love our children. We protect them. We guide them. We prepare them for life in the world. With all that we do, from deep in our hearts, we cannot control all things. Life-threatening illnesses and disabilities affect far too many of our children each year. While we cannot change the circumstance, we can make dreams come true. Dreams to provide hope, to provide spiritual healing and strength, to provide moments of happiness and relief in the hardest of times. We can give a glimmer of light and hope in a time of darkness and despair. Join huntofalifetime.org to help make dreams come true, to provide hope for children with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Hunt of a Lifetime is a nonprofit organization fulfilling dreams for hunting and fishing trips to youth 21 and under with life-threatening illnesses and disabilities. Visit huntofalifetime.org to learn how you can make a difference. Okay, and we're back. Um, all right, so you're on all these adventures, and was the bear 
the only near-death experience you had, or uh, th there's no. got to be more compromised. Oh, there's more. There's... You got yourself into. Yeah, uh, a lot of them has had to do with cold weather. My buddy Lou and I, I was talking about Lou earlier, my photographer, he drew a muskox tag down south about 90 miles from here, down in the peninsula. And it was the last day of, it was the last day of the tag was good. It was middle of March and we had been hunting muskox for the probably three or four weeks before, but we just couldn't find the right bull. So we, uh, we decided on that last day to go down there. It was, it was like 35 below zero when we left here on snow machines and we had to go across the pack ice and the further south we went, the colder it got and we ended up, I mean, it's in the book. It's, it's, it ended up when we, when we left, when we, we got to muskox and when we left, it was 48 below zero. And we had so many, we had so many problems getting there. You know, it was cold. Yeah. Uh, we, you know, you pull gas, you, you got your snow machine, you got a sled on the back. Yeah. You got uh, gas cans in there. My gas can busted a hole in it. So I lost all the gas and, you know, at 30 below, if you take your hands out of any, if you got mittens on, which we do, you know, we wear beaver hats and, you know, seal gloves, seal skin gloves, all these kinds of things. And anytime you have to take your hands out, it's going to freeze. And uh, we ended up getting down there. Uh, we go across the pack ice. We get to land. We search for muskox. We can't find any. Right in late in the evening, we find them. Lou gets his bull. Um, we, it's 48 below zero. You know, the best part of that was actually gutting that bull, field dressing that muskox because you actually got to warm up. That's the warmest part. <laughs> you get your hands in there, you can get them warm up, you know. <clears throat> but, uh, and then we get him on the sled and we're going to come back. And then I hit the key on my snow machine and my snow machine won't start. Oh, boy. <clears throat> and then we're, you know, we're 100 miles from home. It's 48 below zero. We got two machines, a sled full of muskox, and it's cold. And uh, so, we ended up tinkering with it. Finally, it started, and we got gone. It's dark. We're trying to find our trail back to, and and down here you got shelter cabins about every 25, 30 miles, kind of like safety cabins. Yeah. So you got to get to cabin to cabin to cabin, and then you get, you know, where you need to go. And we got to the pack ice to cross the pack ice again. Instead of going the trail we came, we went tried to make a shortcut. Well, Lou's in front of me. He's pulling his sled. He's got his muskots. I'm behind him. He's going along. I'm going along. And I look up and I see the sled on snow, uh, Lou's machine go through the water, go through oh, the ice. Jesus. He went on, but I had to go through that. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to have to deal with this open lead in the pack ice. And I just thought, you know, I, it scared me to death. And that's probably the most scared I've ever been. Because I just hit the throttle and I went down into the slush, but I came out. My skis caught on the other side and I got out of that. But I was coated in ice water that turned to ice immediately. I was freezing to death. We got to the cabin. Lou had no idea that I even that even happened because you can't feel what's going on behind you if you got a big sled on. And we get to the cabin, and this is an old cabin, doesn't have any firewood in it. So we got to go to the next cabin, which is 25 miles. Huh. And you're wearing goggles. And they're frosted up. 
And the only way you, you stop, you pull the cowling up on your snow machine, you take your goggles off, you throw them in there side the motor so they can get warmed up, get the fog off, put them back on and drive more, then do it again and again and again. And by this time I had frostbite inside both nostrils so bad, but there was just no way around it. I mean, my eyes were frozen, everything was frozen. But we got, then we got to the next cabin and we couldn't find the cabin. We're running up and down the coast. We're on the coast of the big lake. And finally, everything's dead. The GPS is dead. I'm shaking uncontrollably. And finally, Lou pulls up and his headlights on his snow machine sees the green painting on this cabin, this, you know, this uh, burrow cabin. And once we seen that, we knew we were safe because we knew there was wood in it. So we get in there, build a fire and stay for two hours. It was 5.30 in the morning. And when we left and we got home at, I don't know, 6.30 that morning. That was I close. I don't think there's anything worse than being frostbitten, cold, yeah. freezing yeah. to death. I tell you what, I, my, I, it hurt so bad for like the next, you get to see it in there. You know, I've had frostbite before many times. And, you know, uh, most of the time it's my own fault. But, yeah, I can still feel, I can still feel it right now talking to you. I can feel it right here. I can feel it inside my nose a little bit. So something that never goes away. Some things just stand out in your memory. Yeah, yeah. And that was one of them. That one I'll never forget. So what would you say to a novice coming to Alaska for the first time? Well, if he's coming to hunt, uh, I guess it depends on what he's coming to do. If he's coming to, if he's coming on, coming up here to hunt, uh, and then he's going to leave, he's going to come stay a little bit then leave, then, you know, uh, I think it, it, it's kind of, that's kind of, a, that sounds like an easy question, doesn't it? But it's kind of hard for me to answer because there's a lot to cover. There's a lot to cover. It depends. It has lots, so many circumstances on what you're doing. Okay? Like somebody's coming on their first hunt to Alaska. Coming to hunt to last, coming up to hunt caribou up in, uh, How do they... up in uh, unit, I live in unit 23. It's about the size of Indiana. Okay. That gives wow. somebody a perspective. Where I live what is they, about the size of What do they of pack? How do they dress? What kind of shape do they need to be in? Okay. Well, you always need to be in, the, be in the best shape you can be in. That's what I always say. You know, well, everybody's not cut and works out every day but be in the best shape you can be in buy the best rain gear you can afford okay buy the best rain gear you can afford because i guarantee it while you're in alaska it's going to rain uh don't wear leather boots buy knee-high rubber boots buy the best knee-high rubber boots you can find muck boots boots by cabela's those insulated ones that's all i wore for years be able to shoot be accurate be able to hit what you're aiming at Okay, whether with a bow or with a rifle or whatever you're doing, if you want to, you know, if they won't die unless you kill them, that's what I tell everybody. So you got to shoot them in the right spot. Uh, so be able to shoot. Be good in camp. Be a camp person. Camp is the most important thing on any hunt. It's more important than shooting and grain gear and anything else. Take care of camp. Okay, I've had a lot of guys that come up and hunt with me that are really good at that good they take care of camp but i've had other guys that just want to sit at the fire it's always got to be taken care of 24 7 you know gather firewood first thing you do when you get to camp is you get as much wood as you can and you cover it with a tarp 
Okay. Bring two tents. One to sleep in, one to store your gear in. Uh, what else have I learned over the years? No leather boots. Bring a frame pack. Don't worry about bringing just a little backpack. Bring a frame pack. It helps. Uh, buy the best camera you can buy and bring it. Phones, you know, cell phones today are phenomenal for anything. You know, I've videoed whole hunts with a, with a cell phone. Yeah, it's true. Um, binoculars. Yeah, you know, they can. Uh-oh. It says we're, your internet connection might be a little iffy on this end. Chris, I hope it, I hope it lasts. Uh, but yeah, um, binoculars. Buy the best you can afford, just like anything else, I guess. And have fun. Enjoy your time. Okay? Take some chances. Bring a fishing pole. <laughs> all those kinds of things but probably the biggest thing is to have fun have fun enjoy it all right well we're running out of time here but i appreciate you coming on where can we find your book aside you find from the american outdoor news <laughs> right you can find it there which is a great spot and you can also find it on amazon just type in atkins alaska on amazon uh, they have plenty, and their shipping's a lot faster than me. If you want a signed copy, you can email me at atkinsoutdoors at gmail.com, uh, and I can send you one. It might take a little longer because we live so far away, and uh, uh, it's just it takes a while to get there. I've had guys buy it that haven't got it yet. And, but anyway, Amazon seems to be the fastest. But, and it's soon to be at any Amazon. bookstore in Alaska and maybe on Barnes & Noble. What's that? I'm sorry. I'll pick it up off of Amazon. It'll be uh, a lot faster. I'll get it before the uh, before the spring thaw. <laughs> yeah, you'll probably get it. Uh, yeah, these guys probably won't get it till June, but you can probably have it in a couple of days. So, but yeah. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your stories, and I look forward to reading the book. Uh, we'll see this on uh, Waypoint uh, in a couple of days. And uh, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again. All right. Thanks, Chris. I appreciate it. All right.